Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to church this Sunday morning. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together. You be- 
worship you today. Thank you for your presence with us in this place. We pray that you will make us continually aware of your spirit working in us and through us. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. We want to take a moment to, um, to uh, pray for uh, all of you who are involved in ministries of our church. And uh, I think we have a slide that has a list of, I think it covers most of the ministries of the church. Um, but, so, but if you're involved in any kind of ministry in the church, through the church, uh, to uh, other places, uh, maybe ministry of children, youth, adults. It might be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, other days of the week. Uh, if you're involved in any of those ministries, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then I want to offer a word of prayer for you. If you're not sure, you stand. Go ahead. You know, things like uh, Royal Family Kids Camp, as well as that takes place outside the walls of the church, but it's a part of the church. Um, Meals on Wheels, uh, as well as the things that we do here in the building. And we want to pray for you. Tim Keller says that Jesus guides and directs his entire church to the spiritual gifts that he gives his people. And it's exciting to know that we are using the gifts that God has given us. And our prayer is that as we allow God's spirit to work in us, he will minister to others even as he ministers to us. So let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for every person who's standing before us today. We know that you are pleased with their willingness to serve, with the spirit of humility in which they serve, and most of all, their reliance and their trust trust in you as they serve. We pray that you will bless each one with your grace and your strength for all that comes to them. Let them see the fruit of their service to you and to us and to others around us. We pray, Father, that you will fill each of us with joy in our service and that our joy may be contagious to this entire congregation and inspire more and more of us to be involved in your ministry of your church. Father, be glorified in our lives and in our ministry as we work together to bring your kingdom purposes on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to ask the uh, ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Please stand and sing with us. spend time praying together as you think about the needs, the burdens that are on your heart today. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we wrestle with burdens. There are times where anxiety just weighs so heavily on us. There are days when it feels that peace is elusive and hope feels out of reach. Sometimes it's busyness or the pressure of expectations. Sometimes we just forget about each other. That our lives are interconnected with each other. That you create us for unity and compassion and love. And so, Father, this morning we come and we acknowledge our brokenness and our fallenness. And the many ways in in which we sin against you and against one another. And pray that you will forgive us. Father, it is because we believe that when we confess our sins, you do indeed forgive us. That we pray not only for ourselves, but for this world in which we live. A world of of hurting people right around us and beyond us. Father, we pray for those around us who are in need. We pray especially for Bruce Brenneman and ask that you will work your healing power in him as he is home from the hospital now. We pray for Bill Roski as he continues in chemotherapy. For Matt Bissett in his therapy and his recovery. For Bev Rett and Micah Christensen in their therapy. For Linda Roth and we ask that you would continue to heal her. We pray for your healing grace upon Alton Shea and Isla Shea and Dick Gould and Edna Howard. And we continue to pray for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for all who are on our hearts and minds today, Father, we pray 
your healing power upon them. Father, we pray for those who are most affected by the Ebola crisis. We ask that you will have mercy, that you will extend your hand to slow and to stop the spread of the virus. That you would protect your people all across West Africa, providing safety and shelter and food. We pray, Father, that you would grant wisdom and safety and courage to all who are ministering in very uh, difficult circumstances. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will use even this great difficulty to encourage believers and to bring people to you and your grace. Father, we pray for the places of the world where there is the continual threat of terrorist attacks. For our brothers and sisters who face great persecution, we ask that you would help them and you'd bring an end to the violence. We pray, Father, for those who've been affected by the volcano that's erupted in Japan. Already many who have died in in great destruction. We pray for your grace in the midst of this pain. We pray for Wes and Dana Brown as they minister in Kenya and ask for your mercy upon them and your grace in their ministry. Father, we come today acknowledging that nothing is too great for you. We pray that you will help us to to continue to ask for your mercy and your grace and your power to be revealed in ways that are far beyond us. Help us to pray with gratitude and with faith because of who you are. Help us to trust you. Father, we pray all of this because of Christ Jesus. And we pray in his name, remembering the prayer that he teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. First scripture reading today will be Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all of the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Second scripture reading today will be 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, 
patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know, that those, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I'd like to invite all of the children who are here with us to come and join me at the front. And we are going to lead the rest of the congregation in singing a couple of songs about the Bible. So on your way up, see if you can think of what we might sing about the Bible. So come on up, kids. Meet me at the front here.
You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it
Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your word. And we pray that you will help us to understand the gift of your word more and more today. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know what version of the Bible you may have with you or what you typically read. I brought with me today a sampling of some of the versions that I have. Uh, You know, there are different translations, different studies. This is the Life Application Bible. It's pretty thick. It's kind of heavy. The Jerusalem Bible, which is uh, more of a Catholic version. Of course, the King James. It's always in black leather, right, to cover that. Um, This is a Bible you can tell what era this came from, right? 1970s, uh, New Testament, got a Greek Bible, Hebrew Bible, a uh, Reader's Digest Bible, a condensed version of the Bible. It's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, The whole point of it was maybe people would be more apt to read Scripture if it read more like a novel. And so they put it into that uh, language. I don't know if people did or not. Uh, This is an interesting Bible. It's called The Life of Christ in Stereo. It takes the Gospels and and arranges the four Gospels into one story. And uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all woven together into a story, one person's opinion of that. Um, Probably my most precious Bible is this one. This little New Testament that uh, is sort of falling apart because it's, it's kind of old. There's a note inside this Bible that says, Dear Wesley... This little testament was given me by my grandma when I was a little girl, probably eight or ten years old. So now I will pass it on to you as a keepsake. I used to carry it to Sunday school, love from great-grandma Dingman, April 18, 1968. Now this is from my great-grandmother who actually, I knew both of my great-grandparents. My great-grandmother died when I was 24 years old. She was about 95, 96 This Bible probably was printed about 114 years ago. I'm going to guess about the turn of the 19th century, 20th century. And uh, I don't use it much. One thing is the print is so small I can barely read it anymore. Uh, But it's just one of those keepsakes that I have on my shelf. And it reminds me of my great-grandmother and that gift that I have of the Scripture. I also have a Bible that I used throughout college and some into seminary that has really taken a beating. Um, in fact, I used to, if I knew what passage the preacher was preaching from, I'd just take that part with me when I went because you could just take it apart. Uh, it kind of comes in sections and none of it is connected to the binding anymore. So you want, you want John? I can give you John and just take that with me is the one thing. It strikes me, though, as I look at this particular Bible as that, and there are also some, here's some other translations that you may or may not have heard of that are coming out. Uh, Good news from Modern Pets, uh, the Light Bible, Less Commandments, Less History, Tastes Great, Uh, the Olie Biblie, Pig Latin version of the Bible. These, um, and of course, there are uh, some books of the Bible that, didn't make it into the canon. We have 66 versions. A few of them didn't make it in. 101 uses for a dead Philistine. Well, that book did not make it in. Bathsheba, my story. Ten better commandments. Um, but you know, one thing about this particular Bible that comes apart 
is that it reminds me that there are people, when we read the scriptures, who want to take this, the Bible and say, I like that part, so I'll take that. I don't like that part, so I'm not going to take that. And we have a tendency, and it's not just people who may not think highly of the scriptures, but we all have a tendency to look at the scriptures and say, that's a part I like and I'm going to focus there, and this is a part I don't like, and I'll kind of ignore that. It's one of the reasons why I think it's so valuable at times to read through the entire Bible. And a lot of times, especially if you start in Genesis, Genesis isn't so bad. There are a lot of really interesting stories in Genesis. In fact, sometimes we think we probably shouldn't be showing these stories to our children. But um, you get even into Exodus. But as you move through Exodus and you start getting into Leviticus and you start thinking, whoa, man, this is a lot to laws and rituals. And we get bogged down there and we think, what's the point of this? It's all important. And it's all valuable. And we don't pick and choose what we want. But the bigger question for us is the authority of the scriptures. And the question that we're answering that's being asked today is, is the Bible true? And does it really matter? And that sort of begs the question of where do our Bibles come from? And this is one cartoonist idea, where we get our Bibles it says, uh, yo, Wilson, we got more of those uh, blasted paraphrases coming up again. You better bring me a hoe. He's got a little planting NIV, RSV, KJV. Our Bibles don't come from there. But sometimes there are people who want to say they just sort of sprout up. They just sort of grow. And that one of the arguments throughout time is, where does the scripture come from? What's the point of it? Is it real? Is it true? And, I, you know, it's created a lot of arguments. It's created a lot of discussion because there are people who look at the scriptures and say that can't possibly be true. There are things in the scriptures that confuse us. Sometimes there are things in the scriptures that, quite frankly, embarrass us. We wish they weren't there. There are things in the scriptures that uh, we, would, we would sort of like to cut out if we could because we don't know exactly what to do with it. We've all encountered that. We've all read parts of scripture and thought, oh boy, really God? That's in there? And it's created an atmosphere in some places where people are saying, then that just means the scripture is not reliable anymore. The scripture is only true if I think it's true. And the only parts of the scripture that are true are the parts that I believe are true. Everything else, if I don't like it, if I don't understand it, if, if I would like to ignore it, then it's not true. And I become the measure of the reliability and the truthfulness of scripture. That's a dangerous place to be. The reaction to that has been that we need to, we need to start, we need to set down this, this box, would it put scripture in a box that says everything about the scripture is perfectly exact, true, literal. Everything about it is in a box and we can explain every single thing. And while I, am a, while I emphatically believe, and I want to make this very clear to you, that all of scripture is true. Not all of scripture is literal. And there are things, you have to remember, Scripture was written a long time ago. 
And there are things in the scripture that are written in the context of the first century or the ninth century BC. And people wrote as they understood it because God gave human beings the freedom to write it as they understood it in their cultural context. And that doesn't minimize the fact that it's true. It just makes it real to who they are and the times in which they lived. And so there are things, for instance, there is the implication in the scripture that maybe that the earth is flat. Well, we've discovered the earth isn't flat. But in the first century, in the ninth century BC, everyone believed that. So does that mean that the scripture is not true? It's not reliable? No, it just means it was written in a time that people how people understood things. There's sometimes there are numbers in the scripture that are different. Is that significant? Were there 2.5 million Israelites that came out of Egypt? Were there 250,000 Israelites that came out of Egypt? Is that going to, going to undermine my faith if it's one or the other? Not for me, because the important thing is God brought his people out of Egypt. And they crossed the sea. And there are things in the scripture that are imperative for us to believe. But there are some things that we simply say we don't know. And at some point, we have to say we're going to, we're going to let God be God. And that's what makes me a little bit nervous about when we use terms like inerrancy and infallibility. We want to codify God. We want to put God into this box and say, this is the way it has to be. Instead of letting God be who he wants to be. And this is the scripture that God's given us. And if we believe it is the inspired word of God. Which I think is the, is the primary thing that we say. It is the inspired word of God. It has come to us from God. As he has inspired human beings to write it. If we believe that God is the almighty God. And this is his word. Then what he's given us is what we need to have. And that means there are some things that will go unexplained. There are some things that are going to feel confusing to us. There are some things that are going to be, quite frankly, embarrassing to us. There are things that we wish weren't in there. And there are things that we wish were clearer. But they don't seem to bother God. Because he has given us this word And he said to us, this is my word. I've inspired it. It is from me. It is not a human invention. And this is what you need to know to follow me. And we have to trust that. At some point, we have to say, it's God's word. And even if there are parts that I don't quite understand and there are parts that I don't quite get, I trust God. One of the questions that was asked as well was, how do we know that the scriptures are really the inspired word of God and not just written by human beings in the sort of to talk about their culture, just like all other religions talk about their culture? And for me, one of the unique things about scripture is how honest it is. The fact that everything in scripture isn't tied up into a neat little bow, that every question isn't answered, to me says, that to me that is a proof that it is the unique word of God. Because when you compare it to all other religious literature, bows are tied, things are placed into boxes, everything is is perfectly organized and every question is answered. But scripture isn't. 
There's some things that God decides to leave undone. The other thing about scripture that I find so fascinating and gives it uniqueness is that it is so honest about God's heroes. Quite frankly, if you were going to make up, if you're going to sit down and say, all right, I want to write the Bible so that people will follow God and worship him. Quite frankly, I'm not sure this is what we would write. Because every one of God's heroes, every one of God's great people are revealed in their fallenness and their fallibility. You think about Noah, who said, of whom it said he walked with God after this awesome experience of the flood and the ark. He has a, a pretty uh, unseemly experience of drunkenness that doesn't paint him in a very good light. And Abraham, who also walks with God, he's got that special person of God, at least two times we have recorded, where he doesn't even trust God enough that he is willing to put his wife in harm's way and put her in a place where some horrific things can happen to her. And David, of whom it said he's a man after God's own heart, in one fell swoop, Virtually breaks every one of the Ten Commandments. Adultery, murder, lying, coveting. And yet, these are God's heroes. And if we were to write a scripture, I don't think that's what we would write. We wouldn't make up this stuff. We would have all of God's heroes be perfect. And we would, so that people would say, if I follow God, everything works out nicely. If we were to say, if I were, we were to write our own gospel, we'd take out a whole lot of things. We'd probably change a lot of stuff. One thing we would say, as Paul says in here in 2 Timothy, we would certainly not say, if you want to be a follower of God, you're going to be persecuted. Well, let's throw that out. Then. Who wants that? We would certainly have some people live longer and probably a few people die sooner. We would probably change a lot of what Jesus does. We'd have him start his ministry much younger. We would change some of the things he says. I mean, he's pretty hard on the rich and the religious. And we'd certainly do something about, you know, all the wine in the Bible. You got to turn that into water or grape juice or something, right? That makes us nervous. There are lots of teachings that we would say, boy, let's, let's change that. That's too, that's too ambiguous. That's confusing. And for me, that's one of the great evidences that this is the inspired word of God. Because it's not what we would write. It's so much bigger, so much more than what we would write. And quite frankly, if you're going to really read the scriptures and you're going to immerse yourself in the scriptures and you're going to believe that they're the inspired word of God, then at some point you have to become comfortable with paradox. Because so much of what the scripture teaches us about God and about what it means to be a follower of God is the tension of paradox. And why is that? It's because it's the word of the almighty God who is beyond us. And if we were to understand completely everything that God writes in the scriptures, we would be God. And I don't think any of us are there yet. 
This is the great mystery of the almighty God who reveals himself and who, and who gives us glimpses of himself and calls us to trust him. Will Willimon says that the, uh, the real reason that why people don't get the Bible is not that the Bible is old, it's that our minds are too small. We keep wanting to put God and his word into boxes. Instead of letting God be God, let his word be his word and believe it and trust him. You see, the point of scripture is for us not to explain everything. The point of scripture is not for us so that, so that we, will, we will be able to say, okay, we've gotten God into our little box and now we can just take a deep breath and not worry about it anymore. The point of scripture is to help us understand who God is and who we are. When you get to 2 Timothy 3, Paul says all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. All of it. And the point of it is, why is it inspired by God? Because it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, correcting righteousness. It is to help us understand the things that sin, help us help clarify the things that sin distorts. We talked a few weeks ago about our, how we live with damaged receptors And how God's message to us is clear, but because of sin, our sin and the sin of the world and the sin that people commit against us, we are receptors of understanding God are damaged, they're twisted, they're turned, they're skewed. Scripture is given to us to help us understand and to help clarify what our damaged receptors have skewed and twisted. And so God comes to us in his word and says, let me help you understand who I am. We sang a little bit ago with the children, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. How do we know anything about God? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know anything about who God is and what God requires of us and asks of us and what it means to be a follower of God? How do we know any of it? Because scripture tells us. And I'm convinced that the real question is not, do we believe the Bible is true? I'm not sure that's really the struggle we ought to be worried about. The real struggle is, are we willing to surrender in obedience to the authority of God as he reveals himself through his word? I keep thinking back to what Mark Twain said. You know, for some people, it's the parts of the Bible that that they don't understand that concerns them and worries them. He said, for me, it's the parts that I do understand. And that really is the issue. At some point, it becomes an act of faith to believe that because even though we don't understand everything that's written in Scripture, and even though we can't reconcile everything in the Scriptures, we know The scriptures are true. We know that the scriptures are the inspired word of God given to us. And he calls us to surrender to the word in obedience. 
And that means that we will, that the scriptures are not a club that we use to beat people with. But rather, the scriptures are the truth by which we live as agents of God's kingdom. That's really what the scriptures are for. They are given to us so that we will know how to live as agents of God's kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jesus says to to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think in them you will find life. But he says, what the scriptures do is point to me. The scriptures are about us understanding Jesus. They're not about trying to prove our points. They're not about trying to prove our theological system that we may have developed. The scriptures are about pointing us to Jesus. And Peter writes in his first epistle that while the earth and people and everything else is going to fade away, it's like grass that withers, the word of God stands forever. Because the word of God is eternal... He says, then you ought to obey it. So put away malicious talk and greed and selfishness and all the sin and trust God. See, that means that we have to come to Scripture in the right attitude. The right attitude in which we approach Scripture is a spirit of humility, a spirit of expectancy. So often, we come to Scripture trying to prove a point. Instead of coming to Scripture with a a spirit of openness and asking God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to speak into my heart, in my life? There's such a huge difference. Humility leads to the, the Scriptures coming alive for us. Arrogance, the Scriptures won't do anything for us. Humility leads to spiritual maturity. Arrogance leads us away from all that God wants to do in us and for us. And we come with the spirit of of expectancy. We, We read the scriptures and we study the scriptures. We do so because we believe God's going to speak into our lives. He has a word for us. That God is going to speak to us and and give his word to us in a way that will change us. And make us more and more the people that he created us to be. So often we read the scripture thinking, what can I find here that I can share with someone else? And all the while God is saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. Before you talk to anybody else, I've got a couple things I want to say to you. And it's not always confrontation of the scriptures. Often it's encouragement from the scriptures. And that's why we we read the scriptures, not just humbly and expectantly, but joyfully. You know, one of the things that we do most Sundays is that after the scripture reading is finished, the reader will say, this is the word of the Lord. And the congregational response, and this is historic, this has been going on for centuries, the, the people respond by saying, thanks be to God. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are some times when we read the scripture, I have to stop and say, yeah, thanks be to God. Because sometimes we read a passage of scripture and I think, 
Boy, I don't know what to do with that exactly. And you probably have sat there and listened to the scripture read and thought, thanks be to God. Hmm, okay. But the point is, we give thanks to God for everything in his word. The things we understand and the things that we don't. The things, the the word that confronts us and the word that encourages us. The word that might embarrass us a little bit that we wish wasn't there and the word that we embrace and celebrate it being there. And all of it comes back to our relationship with the one who gives us the word. I've I've never been one to uh, be all that interested in post-apocalyptic literature. You know, science fiction type things. I love reading novels, but that's not really my genre of literature. And I, I had never read any science fiction novels until a couple of years ago, my nephew wrote a post-apocalyptic novel. And he sent it to me. And now I suddenly became interested in reading post-apocalyptic literature. And he's, he's published two books. I've read them both. Why is that? What changed it? Because I have a relationship with the author. And quite frankly, what will change our mindset about Scripture is our relationship with the author. If we believe that God loves us and cares for us and his word is a gift to us, we will celebrate reading it. The writer of the Psalms begins the very beginning and says, Blessed are those who read his word. They delight in his word. He repeats that in Psalm 119 and says, I delight in your word, O Lord. And Paul writes to the Romans and says, In your word we have hope. Your word encourages us. We delight in his word because it is God's gift to us. About 30 years ago, Bishop Desmond Tutu was speaking at the World Methodist Conference and this was still before the uh, breakup of apartheid in South Africa. And he said to this conference, he said, you know, when the white people came to South Africa, the, the white people had the Bible and the black people had the land. So then the white people wanted to teach us to pray. And when we opened our eyes, the white people had the land and the black people had the Bible. And he picked up his, his Bible and he held it up and he kissed it tenderly. And he said, we shall see who got the better end of the deal. There is power in the word if we will embrace it and celebrate it as God's gift to us. Emil Kaye was for many years a professor at Princeton University. And he tells his story in his book, Journey into Light, about how he came to faith. 
He was raised in a very naturalistic home, nothing of God or religion in, in France. But he was, it was sort of inbred in him because that was the culture of the time, that this idea of, of the progressiveness of life, that everything was getting better and better. That if we just worked a little harder, if everyone just, just gave a little more, that the world was getting better all the time. And then he became a soldier in World War I, and that illusion was shattered. Among the trenches, and the mud, and death. He was injured in the war, and he was sent to a hospital... And during his convalescence, he met a nurse who cared for him, and they fell in love and got married. And on the wedding night, he said to her, I just want you to promise me one thing. Just one thing. That as long as we're married, you will never, ever talk to me about religion. And she promised. He got better He was discharged from the service. He went to the University of Paris to study. And while he was there studying, he started keeping a little notebook. Every time he read something that really spoke to him, he wrote it in the notebook. Every time he heard someone say something that that was really meaningful to him, he wrote it in the notebook. And he compiled these pages and pages in this notebook. And he called it the little book that understands me. And one day he was having an especially difficult time. He was really wrestling with life and struggling and with the meaning of life. And he thought, if there was any, any, ever any time that I needed this book, it's now. And he went to a park and he sat down on a bench and he opened up the book and he began to read what he'd written there. And he read the first entry and he thought, why did I write that? It didn't mean anything. He went to the second entry and he thought the same thing. It means nothing. And he kept flipping through pages and page after page reading what he'd written. And it was just, it was just dead to him. It didn't mean anything. And by the time it was done, he was in such despair, he went home on the point of suicide. He got home and his wife said to him, guess what I did today? He said, what? Well, they lived in this little tiny apartment in Paris he and his wife and their little baby. Cramped space. And she would often take the baby out for walks for hours at a time to give him time and peace to study and to work. And She said, well, I was out with the baby and I was pushing the stroller through the streets. And I, I got onto a street that was made of cobblestone. And she said, as I was pushing the stroller along, I was just shaking the baby shake a baby's head off. And so the first place I saw I could turn off, I did. And it was a little gate in a garden And he walked back in there and hidden back in this garden behind the gate was a Huguenot church. They'd hidden the churches back there in the 16th century because they were being persecuted. And she said, on a whim, I I went into the church and the pastor was there. and We began to talk and just, I don't know why, but I asked him if he had a Bible in French. And he said, sure. And he gave it to me. And Kaye said to her, you have a Bible? She said, yes, you have a Bible in French? Yes. He said, give it to me. And he took it. And he said, I stayed up all night reading this book, reading the scriptures, and declaring, this 
is the book that understands me. This is the book that understands me. It's the word of God that has power. It's the word of God that is unique. It is God's gift to us. And the real question for each of us is not so much, can I prove that the Bible is true? But rather, I believe it is the inspired word of God And it is calling me to surrender in obedience to the authority of God and of his word. And the question is, will we? Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. For the power of your word to speak into our lives. Fill us with a yearning, a passion for your word. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with you, oh, be not dismayed. For I am your God and will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand. Upheld by my gracious, omnipotent When through fiery trials your pathway will lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you, I only desire your dross to consume and your gold to refine.
I'm going to ask you to uh, commit yourself to something this morning and throughout the rest of this week, and hopefully longer. However much you read the scriptures, I want to encourage you to add 10 more minutes a day. 10 more minutes a day of reading the scriptures. Maybe you have a plan, you're reading through the Bible in the year, maybe you have some kind of devotional book that you use. But whatever it may be, that we together would commit to 10 more minutes of reading the scriptures. If this is God's inspired word to us, which we believe it is, then we want to give as much of our time as possible to it. And the second thing is, as you read, ask God to give you a humble, expectant heart. That as you read, instead of coming to Scripture trying to impose what we think, rather come to Scripture with a spirit of openness for whatever God wants to say and do. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you. And the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Amen.